Hi everyone, welcome back to Seek First Podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Rick Brown here. Take a minute to subscribe to Seek First Podcast. I really appreciate it. Stick around, I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready, grab your Bible, prepare your heart and your mind, let's roll. Good afternoon, welcome on this Easter weekend where we get to celebrate our amazing Lord and Savior that conquered sin and death, the two great needs of our soul, amen? To conquer the power of sin so that you and I, for the first time in our life, could be set free through him to be obedient to the Lord. And then to conquer the power of death, who Hebrews chapter two tells us that people are in fear, the bondage of fear, their entire life as they see that dark shadow of death coming. This last week, as I sat next to my mom's bedside as she breathed her last and realized that she was now with the Lord, just breathing that last breath, and there is her body. She's no longer there. She has vacated that body into a new glorious body in heaven. And so the reality of Jesus conquering death is so powerful to me here this afternoon because someone I love so much was the beneficiary of the incredible death, burial, and resurrection that we celebrate this weekend, but in a very personal, intimate way. As we look at our message here this evening, we are uh, going through the Anchored in the series of God's Word, and it's a beautiful thing how it's just corresponding to this Passion Week. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're gonna be opening to Luke chapter 22, to look at our message, The Dark Night of the Soul. I don't know if you've ever went through a season of trial, temptation, difficulty, where you're just in the battle of your life. It has been called the dark night of the soul. And Jesus exhibits that to us in the Garden of Gethsemane as we're headed towards Easter Sunday morning. We find Jesus here in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is in a raging battle. He's in a fierce wrestling match. He's in agonizing over a decision he's got to make, and that is that decision to surrender his will to the Father's will in obedience to go through the brutality and the suffering that is prior to the cross, but ultimately dying upon the cross and all of its humiliation. He knows fully and completely what is in front of him, so he can count the cost of this decision. But really, this is the dark night of each one of our souls and the wrestling match of each one of our souls, and that is this reality that each of us, each of us, every day of our life have a decision to make. As C.S. Lewis said, there's only two groups of people in the world. Those who tell God, your will be done on earth in my life, or my will be done on earth in my life. There's only two groups of people. Those who seek to surrender their will, whatever that agenda might be, to the Father's will. And Jesus is in this same wrestling match, and it is not an easy no-brainer because there's a lot on the line. If you made your way to Luke chapter 22, we're gonna stand and read, starting at verse 39. Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 39 for this message, the dark night of the soul. Verse 39, 
Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he arose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Father, we ask now that you would bring your word to life for each one of our souls. Whatever condition we find ourselves in as we have come to your house, in your presence with your people, answering phones. Lord, we pray that you would minister to us now by your wonderful grace, that you would open our spiritual eyes that we'd see wonderful things. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We want to look at his prayer, his strength, and his agony here in this passage of Scripture. As his custom was, he went to the Mount of Olives with his disciples. We know this to be the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive press. It's a place that olives are harvested, and then they crush the grapes to get the oil. And it's an apropos title to the place that Jesus is being crushed under the weight of what is in front of him between that hard place and a rock of the Father's will and the brutality of the cross and what is gonna take place. And it's in this place, in the dark night of the soul, that we see Jesus praying in a way that we have never heard him pray. He is behaving in a way where we have never seen him behave. He is going to have a physical experience that is pushing things to the limit that we see even in medical journals that is a very, very rare condition. And that is his blood comes out of his sweat glands, the capillaries burst. It's a unique situation as we'll see in a few moments. But to realize this, he tells his disciples, hey, I'm gonna go over here and pray. And I want you guys to pray lest you enter into temptation. Because in order to face the dark night of the soul and the temptations of our soul, we have to spend time in investing in the bank account spiritually of prayer. Oftentimes, we are easily pushed over by temptation because we're really not getting strengthened in prayer. Strengthened in the spiritual life of being in the word, being in prayer, being in fellowship. Those things all contribute to the strength when the temptation in the dark night of the soul comes that we can resist the temptation and be obedient to God's will rather than caving in to the temptation of the weakness of our flesh and the temptations of the devil. Now, Jesus went through a tremendous time of temptation. 40 days and 40 nights, he didn't eat any food. And then the devil came to him and tempted him. But this temptation is even more severe, even though there hasn't been 40 days without food. Because 
The strongest drive you have in your being is self-preservation. Your desire to live is the strongest, passionate, innate, visceral desire that God puts in your life. That's why people go to the very end, you know, that it's this thing where you want to live, even people that are in a terminal condition like my mom, the hospice nurse said the problem with your mom is her heart is so strong, but the cancer has eaten up the rest of her body, but her heart wants to keep living. Actually, this, when she was going through these treatments about six months ago, the doctor, they were going to give her a treatment, and they thought she, they heard a, a heart murmur, so she had to go in for a heart test before they did this other procedure. And when they went in for this other test, it wasn't a heart murmur. My mom's heart was so strong, it, the walls of the heart were slapping together. It was like clapping. And they said, oh, it's the opposite of what we thought was going on, the strength of her heart. But her heart wanted to continue to live even though her body was given up. If you want to know how strong your self-preservation chip is, just have one of your childhood friends when you're young push you underwater and hold you. There's a point where you come up swinging. They might be your best friend, but you're going to punch them in the face if they don't let you up out of the water because you want to live. See, this temptation that Jesus now has as he prays, and he prays this specifically in verse 42, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Father, if there's another way that you can take the cup of the suffering, of the brutal beating, the cross, the death, all of that, if there's a way, Father, in your will, please take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, isn't this the struggle? How often do you struggle with temptation, the weakness of your flesh, and your sin, and you know what God's will is, but you know what you want? This is the human condition, right? You and I are in this human condition. And it's the pits, isn't it, when we're tempted and we just, you know, like, we can be knocked over with a feather in temptation. Oh, we just, oh, I want to resist that. That's not a good, oh, I'm doing it. Right? And I'm sure that doesn't happen to people like you. It happens to people in Wisconsin or something. But it happens in my life. The reality is, is that there's this, this struggle in this humanity that we have. And there should be something that tenderizes your heart about your own struggle, your own temptations when you see your Lord and Master, the one that conquered this, on display as an example right now. And he's wrestling with this in prayer. He's going through this, and he, he doesn't want to go through the suffering that is in front of him. And he's basically saying, Father, if there's a plan B, let's do plan B. Let's go for plan B. Now, there are those who, who have a hard time with this passage because they, they want to so display Jesus' deity that they say he he never had a real struggle or temptation in this way because in other passages he said, this is my food to do the Father's will. I must be about my Father's business. This is, this is the goal of his life, and it is the goal of his life, but to see, this is the mystery about Jesus, and Luke's gospel points it out more than any other. Though Jesus was God in human flesh, Paul the Apostle says in Philippians chapter two that he did not consider it 
uh, robbery to grasp or grab hold of the deity of God. He was God in human flesh, but Luke's gospel says he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit as a man, and he conquered the temptations of 40 days and 40 nights as a man under the power of the Holy Spirit, even though he's God in human flesh. And this is the mystery that comes together with humanity and deity in the life of Christ. And people say, well, of course he overcame the temptation. He's God. Of course, he, you know, he went to the cross. He's God. No, no. He did it, though he is God. Theologically, doctrinally, in orthodoxy. The reality is, he did it in humanity under the power of the Spirit of God. That is the mind-blowing truth of who Jesus is. And he did it in this way to display to you and I that we also can follow him under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in obedience. Now, we don't do it perfectly. We stumble, we fall in our words and our thoughts and our uh, missteps and various things. And maybe this Easter weekend, this is the first time, I don't know why you came on Saturday afternoon, but you haven't been in a church in a very long time. And here you are. Man, I need some hope. I need some Jesus. Well, praise God that you can come to a place that you can hear about the Savior who also struggled with the temptation that's now in front of him, and that is to surrender to the Father's will and obedience or to resist the Father's will and do his own thing. Maybe you've recently been in the dark night of the soul or something's just been pounding away at you. Maybe it's some temptation that's been hammering you that would send your life on an entirely different course. And you've been resisting and you've been wrestling with this thing. And may Jesus be that inspiration for you in obedience to have victory over that through his life being lived through your life. You see, the thing is about sin is that it will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. And the, the victory that you can have on the front side of it is this wrestling match that we have with impulse control and instant gratification. You're tempted to a moment of pleasure because the Bible says, hey, if, if sin isn't fun or pleasurable, what's the temptation in the first place, right? There's no temptation. Sin is exciting or pleasurable, or as it says in Hebrews chapter 11, Moses, he did not go after the passing pleasures of sin, but chose to suffer with the people of God. He had the opportunity to live in sin in the land of Egypt, but he chose instead to identify with God's people. So in this whole conundrum, may there be some flesh and bone in reality to Jesus' life communicated to you that he understands what this is like. And this is so important because he's able to minister to us because of that. Now, this is his prayer. This is his wrestling match. This is the dark night of the soul. But here is his strength. As he prayed in verse 43, it says, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Do you know that there are angels that are ministering spirits to those who are heirs of salvation that specifically you and I according to a passage in the Gospel of Matthew, that we have an angel assigned to us that always beholds the face of our Father, and he's ministering to us. 
Now, when I get to heaven, I have a couple of questions for him at certain times in my life. Where were you? But other than that, I think he's been doing a great job on his journey to get me safely from earth to heaven. Angels are supernatural beings that minister to God's people as they cry out in prayer. Jesus displays this. He cries out to the Father in prayer, and the angel shows up and strengthens him. What's it feel like to be strengthened by God? You ever just feel so bankrupt inside that you just, you can't put one foot in front of another when it comes to resisting sin? And all of a sudden, there's this infusion of strength and power inside of you. You don't know where it came from. It's supernatural. By the Spirit of God, by an angel of God, because you've been crying out to the Lord and praying. So he's strengthened. I love Psalm 18. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and he cried out to my God and heard my voice from his temple. And my cry came before him, even to his ears. God will hear your cry. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me he, and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Cry out to the Lord in the midst of your temptation. Experience the strength that God will bring to infuse you as he does hear our Lord Jesus, even sending an angel to minister to him. But there's also a real agony here that is not only spiritual, emotional, psychological, even apparently physical. It says in verse 44, his agony, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, if Jesus is before the cross, and he doesn't know all the gro gr gruesome details that you and I do about the cross, or did he? No, he most certainly did know. He knew prophetically. He knew by God's spirit. He knew what all the prophets had said. As we see in Luke 18, a couple of chapters before, four chapters before, he says this to the 12. He took the 12 aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered. Notice seven things he knows. This is prior to him going to the cross. He will be delivered to the Gentiles, will be mocked, number two. He will be insulted, number three, and spit upon, number four. They will scourge him, number five. They will kill him, number six. And the third day he will rise again. He states the entire gospel from beginning to end, four chapters before he even gets to this place of the wrestling match in prayer of temptation. This is what they're going to do to me when I get there. This is what the prophets have said concerning the Son of Man. He knew this from the scriptures. Delivered, mocked, insulted, spit upon, scourged, killed, and the third day rising again. Now it tells us after that that the disciples, they never heard the rise from the dead part. They never got that. It, they never, it never computed that somehow they saw the hope that he would rise from the dead. But he knew it. Now, if you know you're going to go through this brutality of being delivered by Gentiles, mocked, insulted, spit upon, scourged, killed, but you know you're going to be raised from the dead three days later, you might say, yeah, but I'm going to suffer, but three days later I'm going to be risen from the dead. That doesn't negate all the suffering that goes before, right? What Jesus went through was so brutal, so traumatizing, 
not only the physical aspects of it, but the spiritual aspects of it, so that he would cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Throughout eternity, the Father and the Son, in total unity, for, for the first time, when all of the weight of the sins of the world, in those three hours of darkness, that came upon Jesus. You know the feeling of guilt and shame? Embarrassment over our, sh- our sin? The brokenheartedness of our own sin and shame and guilt? All of that wave after wave was poured over Jesus' life as he's there on the cross. And he, be- he knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That experience of feeling that kind of weight, that kind of shame, that kind of humiliation was truly overwhelming. And he's praying for a plan B. He's wanting out. Now how did he pray during this time? It tells us in Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Jesus was crying out in tears, vehement cries, passionate cries in prayer. He was having an intense, intense prayer meeting with him and the Father. And so much so that his sweat turned to great drops of blood. Now, what is hematrodosis? Hematrodosis is an extremely rare condition in which you sweat blood. It's so rare that many people don't know it exists or if it's real. But sweating blood has been seen throughout history. Leonardo da Vinci wrote about soldiers sweating blood before battle because they were so stressed out. Hematrodosis generally happens when a person feels intense fear or stress. Someone facing death may have this kind of fear or stress, for example. The body releases chemicals like adrenaline and cortisol that prepare us either to fight or to flee danger. We become more alert and our energy increases, but in rare instances, the flight or fight response can trigger the rupture of capillaries in the body. Capillaries are also located around the sweat glands. In cases of severe fear or stress, these tiny blood vessels can burst and cause blood to exit the body through the sweat glands. This is a known medical condition. It's not just hyperbole, it's not just myth, it's not some kind of you know, warm, fuzzy, weird spiritual event. It's like when stress comes together with a human to such a degree as they are terrified. I don't know if you've ever been so terrified that your le- knees literally begin to knock together. Or have you ever been so terrified you literally wet your pants but it feels like something else takes over your body. When I was in seventh grade, we, had, we were out in the country and this farmer thought we were stealing from his shop, so he came down and he was drunk. And he had a gun and he put it in my cousin in my face and he told us not to move, but he had this aggressive dog that was trying to bite my cousin's face. And so we moved a little bit and he just... He had the gun in our chest and he just pulled it over our head and just shot, boom, and then put it back in our chest. My, my knees just fell apart. My knees just began to knock together as I thought, you know, I'm 12 years old and this is it. I'm gonna die in the countryside in Filer, Idaho from crazy old man Danos, that was his name. 
And the fear and the stress that come upon Jesus in this time of prayer, in this wrestling match, in the dark night of the soul, literally his capillaries burst in his body from the stress and out of his sweat glands became blood. Now mind you, all of this, why, why is he going through all this? For you. Why is he doing all this? So you're doing it to win an Olympic gold medal? No, he's doing it for you. He realizes that the Father has no plan B. This is the plan. And that in the crushing place of Gethsemane, Jesus' soul, in the dark night of the soul, his prayer, the angel strengthened him, even in the midst of his agony, he goes through this incredible, very rare physical condition. And then we see his surrender. Number four, verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he was who called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this, and he touched his ear and healed him. Now we know the guy with the sword is Peter. He chops off Malchus's, uh, the servant of the high priest's ear, according to John's gospel. And, and Peter's ready to fight. Now, but the, the strange thing is, in the midst of all of this, is that <laughs> Jesus had encouraged the disciples to pray. But the, because of sorrow, they were, just, they were too depressed. They were too sad. They just went to sleep. Plus, it's the end of a long night. If you want to see me go to sleep, just ask me for a late night prayer meeting. I'll be out in seconds. And they, Jesus went back to him, and, and he woke him up, and he said, hey, you guys, what, what are you doing? Pray that you might not enter into temptation. Now, Peter had just told him earlier, I'm willing to go to prison for you, and I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus said, yeah, but can you pray for me? No. So often, in how we're wired, we'll do something physical for the Lord, but the spiritual stuff is a little bit more difficult. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And all the guys are sleeping. They're all out. Judas Iscariot comes with the signal that he's going to kiss Jesus, and he gives him a long extended kiss to betray him. And Jesus even calls him out and says, Peter, or excuse me, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Is this how it's going down? You see, Judas also had a dark night of the soul, didn't he? And that is to walk with Jesus or to betray Jesus into the hands of the religious leaders. And he caved. He went the other direction in the dark night of his soul. Peter is in the midst of the dark night of his soul here. Peter, though he couldn't pray with the Lord for an hour, he jumps up with a sword, and he's not even a good swordsman. I mean, he chops off a guy's ear. Now, I don't know how effective that is in deterring a big mob. And Jesus touches Malchus's ear and heals his ear. But just following this, Peter is going to deny the Lord three times. And the Lord told him, he said, before the rooster crows, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And he's like, no, I am willing to go to prison. I'm willing to die for you, unlike these, these other 12. 
He was basically exalting himself and saying, you know what, these other guys are going to run. They're, they're going to be cowards. They're going to be afraid. But I, I'm going to stand. Famous last words, are they not? Something that you would never do. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, if you think you stand firm, take heed lest you fall. And the pride and the arrogance that would say, I would never do thus and so, fill in the blank, is famous last words. Because I don't really think most of us believe the capacity we have for evil and failure. In the right circumstance, with the right pressure, in the right environment, what you are capable of. And Peter did not think himself capable of betraying the Lord through denying him. He sincerely did not. And yet Jesus surrendered. The wrestling match of the dark night of the soul for Jesus is over. It's over. He's going to the cross. And it's at this moment, because you see, Jesus had told Peter that he could have called for 12 legion of angels, a legions between three and 6,000, depending on the, the legion. And he said, I could call for 12 legion of angels, and they, they would come deliver me, Peter. Don't you realize, I'm voluntarily surrendering to the path and the road and God's will for the cross. It's one thing when people take us by force, but when you have a choice to surrender to God's will or to reject God's will, this is the conundrum for each one of us in a daily way. Because let's face it, most of the time the entire humanity of history is not on the line like this. Right, this one decision is either do we save mankind for eternity through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ when he was praying for the Father to have a different plan. But in this, he surrenders and he says, permit even this. You see, when I surrender to God's will, there may be a sense of loss, a sense of death, death to self, death to desire, death to struggles that I have, and I say, okay, Lord, I, I'm going to die to that because I believe, as Jesus did, he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him, that down the road, through the obedience to the Lord, there's going to be a blessing. The blessing of the resurrection. The blessing that, that these things now can do something wonderful in the future if I don't cave to the immediate gratification of my flesh right now. How did Jesus learn in this whole process? Hebrews 5.8 says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Are you suffering? Do you know that this is God's school and education program? Suffering from what you want and doing what God wants? is suffering in your hum human anxiety inside of you. There's a wrestling match. It's, it's a emotional, psychological, suffering. How can Jesus help us? In Hebrews 2.18 it says, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. If you're being tempted here tonight, if you're going through a struggle in your soul, Jesus can help you because he totally understands. 
He understands in a, in a degree and a capacity that you could never fathom. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all points. And the word all in the Greek means all. There is nothing that you have been tempted with, nothing. There is nothing you have been tempted with that Jesus himself has not been tempted with. And yet in that, resisting in obedience and resisting in obedience and resisting in obedience, he now can help you. When I come to the Lord with my own struggles, with my own trials, with my own temptations, with my own thoughts, my own emotions, my own psychological conundrums, my own will that is so often in my humanness wanting to fight against God's will and do my own thing for the gratifying of my own desire, whatever it might be, in that struggle, I can cry out to Jesus sincerely and honestly and quite bluntly and say, Lord, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm having a hard time. Help me, Lord. I understand that you know what it feels like to have these kind of struggles. I know, Lord, that you can help me. You can give aid to me. Now, I want you to know that you're not alone because people throughout history, when the Lord asked them to do his will, and it's a hard thing to do, and they don't want to do it, and yet when they surrender to it, there's a beautiful outcome that you don't know is going to take place in the first place. You know, when Abraham, in Genesis 22, when the Lord said to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the mountain land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. Now, if you have a son, you have a daughter, you have a child, there's nothing like it as a parent, right? It, 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 and this is a great illustration of the Old Testament of a father's love and a son and a son that was willingly laid his life down in this whole story. But Hebrews tells us that Abraham had this thought. When the Lord said, all of his descendants are gonna come through Isaac, he goes, well, if all my descendants are gonna be like the sand of the seashore and the stars in the heaven, that's what God promised, and they're all gonna come through Isaac, and God's asking me to go offer him as a burnt offering on the mountain of Moriah. By the way, that's the place of the skull, Calvary, Golgotha, the land, the mount, land of Moriah. And then he's going to raise him from the dead. I'm going to offer him. Now talk about faith. I'm going to kill my son and God's going to raise him from the dead. You got that kind of faith? Abraham did, according to the writer of Hebrews. It says for three days on the journey there, it was like he was dead to him in his own soul. Like three, Jesus rose from the dead three days later. And they go there. And, and Isaac's, he's not a little boy. Sometimes in the Sunday school program or their cartoonish type of lessons, classroom lessons, they'll have this little boy, no, Isaac's a grown man. He's 20 to 30 years old. He's packing the wood on his back for the burnt offering. He says, hey, Pop, we got the fire, we got the wood. Where's the sacrifice? <laughs> and Abraham says, uh, son, God himself will provide the sacrifice. So they get up there. Now, Abraham is probably 130 years old. His son, that is 30 years old, his dad is not going to overwhelm him in power to tie up his hands. We don't have the narrative, but it must have went something like this. Abraham looked at Isaac and said, son, God asked me to offer you as a burnt sacrifice. But he said, all our descendants are going to be like the sand of the seashore and the stars in the heavens. So I just believe he's going to raise you from the dead, son. So you have to willingly 
lay down your life. So Isaac's like, well, tie my hands good and tight, Dad, because it's going to be pretty rough. He has him on there, and he picks up the knife, and he's getting ready to slay his own son because that's what God was testing him to do. Abraham's will was there was nobody. Do you know that the first time love is mentioned is the verse we just read? The son whom you love. Abraham was crazy about his boy, and yet when God asked him to give up the most precious thing to him to test his faith, he said, okay, because he believed God could raise him from the dead. So he raises up the knife, and the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham. He goes, here I am. I was hoping you'd show up. I, hoped there, I was hoping there was a plan B here. And so he sets him free, and he looks over, and there in the thicket is a ram, a lamb. God provided another and they sacrificed that, sacrificed that animal as a burnt sacrifice. You see, Abraham had no idea except faith that if he stepped out in the conundrum of being obedient to God's will, what God was going to do. But by faith, he believed he had raised him from the dead. Jacob wrestles with an angel of the Lord all night long. And he's like, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me because he was at such a terrible, it was the dark night of Jacob's soul. It's the dark night of the soul. It tells us this. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him and he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. He's wrestling with an angel all night because Jacob in this wrestling match of his soul, maybe like some of us, Jacob, his old name means heel catcher, deceiver. He went through life. If you, if you were to ask me how to... Uh, define his name. He's a manipulator. What's your name? Manipulation. He manipulates everything and everybody. But he wanted that to change. Do you feel that way? Your life's been a mess and you just want it to change? You're tired of manipulating your way through life? You want it to change and it's the dark night of the soul? He wrestles all night long. And the angel, he won't let the angel go, so the angel puts his hip out of socket. Now it's hard to get a hip out of socket. It usually only happens in car wrecks and football games. And the pain of that, Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life, according to Genesis. But the reality is he changed his name. Now, some of us need a name change through the dark night of the soul from being the master manipulator to the person that's the wrestler. He wrestled with God, and he wrestled with man, and he prevailed. That's what Israel means. Many say it means prince of uh, prince with God and various things, but the context says you've wrestled. You're a wrestler. And some of us here this afternoon, you got a nice smile. You have that Jesus smile for church. Hi, praise the Lord. Isn't Jesus good? He's risen. He's risen indeed. But underneath the surface, in your heart, in your mind, is a war zone. A war zone of your will and God's will going on. The people that maybe even closest to you don't realize it. Paul the Apostle had a 
dark night in the soul in 2 Corinthians 12 when it says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He was sick and he prayed three times. He could raise the dead. Paul the apostle could heal the sick and yet he prayed that he would be healed and he prayed three times and the Lord said, no, nope, my grace is sufficient for you. The answer to your passionate wrestling match of prayer is no. But I will give you grace that will carry you through. I will give you grace that will strengthen you through it. And sometimes we don't want the answer. I would say most of the time we do not want the answer. No, I'm not going to answer that prayer. Peter, when the Lord said, Peter, when you're old, I would rather the Lord not tell me how I'm going to die. I don't know about you. I just want it to happen however it's going to happen. Jesus looks before he goes into heaven, and he looks at Peter and he said, Peter, when you were young, you went and you dressed yourself, did whatever you wanted to do. But when you're old, people are going to take you to a place you do not want to go. They're going to stretch out your hands, and you're going to die. He was telling him his, Peter was going to die by crucifixion. Peter understood that, and rather than wrestling with it himself, he looks to John, who, who he always fought, thought was Jesus' favorite, and he said, but Lord, what about this man? Now, when you're wrestling and you're going through hard things and you seem to be in a struggle and you see other people that God seems to give them a sweeter life to live than you, and you say, what about them? How come they get a free ride? How come they stumble over gold? How come life's just beautiful for them? How, how? As soon as I wrestle with my own challenge that God has so often I'm looking to compare myself well they don't have to go through that he doesn't have how come the Lord's like hey that's none of your business you know that's none of your business what God is doing in somebody else's life he has a calling for you he has a lane for you to run in and lastly we see that Jesus demonstrated for us exactly what he told us to do in Luke 9 23 it says then he said to them all them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. See, in a very practical way, he gave us exactly the example that he called us to, to pursue. And that is, I pick up my cross, that means I die to my will so that I'll do his will on a daily basis. And, and honestly, you guys, nothing's very dramatic in the Christian life that we live. I mean, I might deny myself to take out the garbage. I might deny myself to love my wife in this way, or I might deny myself to love this person this way. But it's, there's not spikes and nails and crowns of thorns involved. It's not very dramatic. It's kind of the day-to-day -day average life. But that's what he's called us to. You know, the reality is, is that each of us falls short of the plan that God has for us. And so Jesus lived it out perfectly so he could give us an example and we could ask him for his help. I don't know about you. I stumble, I fall, whether it's in words or thoughts or actions, and I'm constantly coming back to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. I need it. I Got this, uh, check out this nefarious criminal in this picture. It's really grainy, really terrible. But that's me running a red light a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> they had a red light camera. I got a ticket in the mail. It's one of those things you see, it's yellow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make it. Smile. 
You're on candid camera. That's a $500 ticket. And uh, you're cruising through your life. You're just like, and, and in this moment, I'm just going to, I, I want to gun it through this light. But the reality is, is that, hey, if I just, it's a strange thing. But when I drive and my wife drive, we don't have the same reaction to yellow lights. She slows down and stops, and I go, hey, let's go. Right? But she doesn't get $500 tickets. Right? And so there's an innate desire within me to push boundaries and to push limits and to push things beyond the place that, in a spiritual sense, you know, even in my life, to honor the Lord. I always have to come back to that place of just surrendering, surrendering to him, surrendering his will, surrendering what he desires of my life. And I'm so thankful for who he is. Micah seven eighteen, as we wrap it up, says this. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him for he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust the lord knows what we're the composite of our being and our weakness and he's gracious and he's patient and he's kind and he's forgiving and jesus laid down his life as the perfect sacrifice through the wrestling match of the dark night of his soul to make it possible for you and i to be here this weekend and to rejoice that we have victory over sin and victory over the fear of death. We're gonna turn our hearts to communion as the worship team comes back up. So grab your communion cup. We take the bread. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Lord, the thought of it was overwhelming. The reality of it was overwhelming, and yet, Lord, you did it. You, you allowed your body to be broken for us when our body should have been the one broken for our own sins. Lord, you said as often as we do this, do it in remembrance of you. So, Lord, thank you. We remember you tonight. We remember your incredible obedience through that dark night of the soul where you had a choice to surrender to the Father's will or to do your own thing. And Lord Jesus, we are here tonight and want to declare that because you chose obedience to the Father. So Lord Jesus, thank you for your body being broken for us. Let's take the cup together. And as we hold this cup, Lord Jesus, a symbol of your body broken for us, blood that was shed, your life poured out, draining from your hands and your back and your side, your feet. 
You said there's no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. Lord, would you wash us afresh with your precious blood, Jesus? You said, if we will confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, would your blood wash over us, your people here, on this Easter weekend? Lord, you, would you, as we come together in reason, would our sins, they'll be, they'd be as scarlet, they'd be as white as snow. Though they'd be red as crimson, but they'd be white as wool. Jesus, wash us. Wash our hearts, wash our minds, wash our conscience. Do your work in your people's lives. Bring us into that intimate place from a distance, Lord, that sin would keep us at a distance from you. Bring us into your loving arms by the blood that poured out of your body. Lord, we remember your blood that was shed for us. Let's take the cup together. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this closing song, and I want you to know that a prayer team is going to be down here in front. They'd love to pray for you, pray with you, minister to you. If you have some burdens on your heart, you're wrestling with some things, and you need the Lord's strength, may you send his angels to strengthen you to face what you're facing. May he bring you through the other side and enjoy that the beautiful joy that is set before us through a path of obedience, through the empowering of his spirit. Let's worship him for this closing song. I've seen light in the darkness. I won't hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, 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 whoa. And I won't worry about tomorrow or fear in times of trouble. I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I will keep my heart seeking.